0: Amen. As usual, if you have your Bible, then I will invite you to turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 11. Acts chapter 1, I will begin by reading from verse 6. So, brothers and sisters, this is God's holy and inerrant word. So, when they had come together, You see, last week, we dealt with the topic of facing the task unfinished, part one. And so today, we are continuing that topic, found in verses 6 to 11. The book of Acts is a very exciting book. It's a narrative, it's a historical narrative that tells us about the early church. And this book was written by a man named Luke, the physician, the historian, And he narrates the entire book of Acts, telling us what the early church did and how how the gospel has spread to the ends of the earth. And if I could boil down the book of Acts into one sentence, then this is how I would summarize it or articulate it. Acts is about the sovereignty of God in taking his message of salvation to the ends of the world through his spirit-empowered people, with a particular focus on Peter and Paul. Let me say that again. Acts is about the sovereignty of God and taking his message of salvation to the ends of the world through his spirit-empowered people, with a particular focus on Peter and Paul. And as I have mentioned, Christians have the responsibility to face the task unfinished, which is summarized in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, where Jesus says to to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. See when God called when Jesus called his disciples his first disciples Peter and Andrew he told them follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What Jesus meant by responsibility to evangelize to evangelize the word evangelize is rooted in the Greek word which means to, to church did there was an explosive growth and many people became Christians. Many people became followers of Jesus Christ because they have. Now perhaps, even from last Sunday, perhaps some of you may still be feeling that you are not prepared to face the task unfinished. It's so important because it is the foundational basis for the preparation of the apostles and disciples in missions and evangelism. If they're face, if they're to face the task unfinished, then they are to grow in the knowledge of the message of the gospel and experience the might of the Holy Spirit. So let's just kind of review what happened, what we learned last Sunday. How are we to face the task unfinished? First, are you growing in, in the knowledge of the message of the gospel? Second, Are you experiencing the might of the Holy Spirit? And now we will go up to verse 11. And you will also have to ask yourselves two more questions if you want to face the task unfinished. That is the third. The third question is, are you focusing on the missional mandate? The missional mandate. Take a look at verses 6 to 8. Verses 6 to 8 Luke tells us this. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, there is something quite powerful and sobering about last words. Last words. Last words of a dying loved one can be the most memorable thing ingrained in your memory. But we may not always think that our, our, our ordinary conversations with our friends and family members and, or coworkers may be our final words. We never know if the words we say to someone will be the last words we ever say to that person. You see, what we see here in this passage is that this is the final dialogue. This is Jesus' final dialogue with his apostles before he ascends back to heaven. He spent 40 days teaching his apostles, training them, equipping them, teaching them for the work that they're to do, and speaking to them and teaching them about the kingdom of God, according to what we learn in verse 3. So just before his ascension, the apostles asked Jesus a question. Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, what prompted the apostles to ask Jesus the question was most likely because of Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is a big theme in the scriptures. And this is where we kind of go a little bit of a detour and then we'll come back to the what I'm trying to get get at here, the kingdom of God. Luke uses the concept of the kingdom of God about 44 times in the gospel of Luke and 8 times in the book of Acts. Even the gospel of Matthew, he would often use the word the phrase kingdom of heaven. He would use the kingdom of heaven because he, doesn't want, want to be, he does not want to offend his Jewish audience. So whenever you read the, the Bible and the Gospels, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, they're actually the same thing, they're synonymous. Our Lord Jesus spoke much about the kingdom of God and his earthly ministry. And here are just some samplings from the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 4, verse 43 says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Luke chapter 8, verse 1, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 17, verses 20 to 21, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Luke chapter 18, verses 16 to 17, But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whenever, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. But what does this phrase, kingdom of God, mean? What does it mean? Well, there are perhaps three meanings or three aspects that the Scriptures teaches us and describes as the kingdom of God. There's the first, universal kingdom. Second, there's the, what, what you call the spiritual or mediatorial kingdom. Third, there's the millennial kingdom. First, there's the universal kingdom. This is describing the rule of the eternal and sovereign God over all the universe as king. Uh, Psalm chapter 47 verses 7 to 8 says for God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Psalm 103 verse 19 says the Lord Yahweh has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all There is the spiritual or the mediatorial kingdom. See, this is describing a spiritual kingdom uh, over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. In other words, those who are genuinely born-again Christians are in the kingdom of God. And those who do not submit to God's authority do not belong to the kingdom of God. First Corinthians chapter, nine, chapter six, verses nine to 10 says, "Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God." Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5 says, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and in God. John chapter 3, verse 5, Jesus answered, this is speaking to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then there's the millennial kingdom. This is describing the literal rule of Christ on the earth during the millennium. The kingdom of God will find its full consummation in the end times. Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 to 14 says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and the kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So those are the general meanings of the kingdom of God. And I think most of what Jesus taught about the kingdom of God was more, was more in line with the mediatorial kingdom because he wanted people to enter the kingdom of God and become his follower. Therefore, what seems to be a problem with the question that the apostles asked is that they were more concerned and more focused on the kingdom on earth. John Calvin, the 16th century reformer, commented this verse by stating that there are are as many errors in this question as there are words. See, understandably, if you were put, we were to put ourselves in the apostles' shoes, the apostles witnessed their resurrected Messiah. He's been teaching them about the kingdom of God. They have been hopeful that their Messiah will, will return and restore and set up his earthly kingdom in Israel. That's what they expected. And even the disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. They, where they had hope, they were hoping that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. But knowing the apostles in the gospel narratives, sometimes, most of the time, the apostles misunderstood the person and teaching of Jesus. Their, un- their understanding or perception of the king was different, or, or the perception of the kingdom was different from Jesus' teachings. See, according to the 20th century Reformed theologian, James Montgomery Boyce, uh, he, when you examine their question, you can ascertain the kind of kingdom that they were specifically looking for. You see, when you look at the verse, these ver- the, uh, verse 6, they were looking for a political kingdom. They were looking for a political kingdom. See, they used the word restore or reestablish. See, they were thinking about the good old days, reminiscing the old good old days of the Davidic king, the Davidic kingdom. And, Jesus, and since Jesus was the greater David, they wanted him to sit on David's throne, and for Israel to experience the height and peak of Israel's glory. So they wanted; they were looking for a political kingdom. Second, they were looking for a, an ethnically restricted kingdom. They specifically spoke about. Israel. That is ethnic Jews. That is, they were asking about themselves. So in their minds, this kingdom would be a Jewish kingdom. Third, they were looking for a geographically restricted kingdom. See, where would the location of this kingdom be? There's no doubt that when you read the scriptures, this kingdom would specifically be in Jerusalem where King David and King Solomon reigned. Now, just to let you know, like, the Gentiles, non-Jews, were always welcome to Jerusalem to worship the Lord. But their perception of the kingdom was an earthly kingdom in Israel. And now perhaps, like, as we, as we look at this question that they're asking, perhaps we may, not be, we may not be asking the same questions as the apostles were. But perhaps some of us are, all, are distracted, concerned about this question, Lord, when will you restore our society back to normal from COVID-19? We may be concerned in things, concerned in things that are good in of themselves, we may be concerned in things that are good in of itself, like there's food, drink, like clothing, and livelihood, and career. Those are all good things in of itself. But we may have overshot our focus and concern to one extreme and have been distracted from the importance of making disciples, training ourselves to reach others for Christ, growing in our relationship with God in His Word, and training people, God's people, to be equipped in evangelism. You see, even at this point, as you look at verses six to seven, six to eight, we should expect Jesus to face palm. We should expect him to say say to his apostles, you know, after teaching you all about the kingdom of God, you still have no clue what I'm talking about. But he doesn't. He doesn't say that. Also note, however, as Jesus responds to them, Jesus doesn't tell them that there won't be an earthly kingdom. Jesus doesn't deny the reality of a literal and earthly kingdom. However, Jesus does respond by saying that it's not for them to know when. It's not for them to know when that will happen because the Father has fixed and put in place the time when Christ will return to establish His kingdom on earth, specifically in Jerusalem. You know, that time and that season is not for them to know. Similarly for us, the timing of the rapture and the second coming of Jesus also remain unknown to us. But, however, we should be cautious about the application of verse 6, because Jesus is not telling us not to learn about the end times. We should. We should be studying eschatology, the end times. So as Christians, we are to avoid many extremes. One is, one is that is, is to set up a time, a date of Christ's return. And unfortunately, some in church history have tried to fix a day for Jesus' return when the Bible tells us that nobody knows. So we shouldn't go in one extreme in setting up a date for Christ's return. Second, we, we, are, we are to not ignore signs. Okay? Some people just ignore signs in one extreme. See, Jesus has given his people signs in various places in his teachings so as to know and be prepared for his coming third there's one another extreme and that is not being careful not carefully watching and not being prepared for his return fourth neglecting the earnest study of end times just because it's challenging we are to study these things it's important for us it is so spiritually edifying for us to know the end times. Even Paul says to the, to the Thessalonians to encourage them in these things. And even John said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 that it's such a blessed thing to read the book of Revelation. But in the meantime, Jesus does not want to, to be distracted and so focused on this earthly kingdom. Instead of being distracted or f- focusing on the time of Israel's restoration, the apostles will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be Jesus' witness, according to verse 8. See, one of the purposes of the book of Acts is to demonstrate how the gospel message has spread to the lands that surround the Mediterranean Sea. And so Jesus here is promising the apostles two things. First, they will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. This promise will be fulfilled in an event called Pentecost in chapter 2. Second, they will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth, which would break down the outline of the book of Acts, where the gospel was proclaimed in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 1 to 7, to Judea and Samaria in Acts chapter 8 to 12, and to the end of the earth in Acts chapter 13 to 28, and so forth see, to witness for Christ in the world and to eventually have this gospel spread in various parts of the world, the early church did not do so by political power. They did not do so by economic power. They did not do so by military power. They did not do so by cultural power, nor did they do so by willpower per se they did so by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was a supernatural power. And the method of reaching the world with the message of the gospel was simply by being Jesus' witnesses. Now, what does this word, what does it mean to be Jesus' witnesses? See, this word witness in the Greek is "martus," which is where we get our word martyr. To be Jesus' witness meant two things. First, to testify the message of the gospel. To testify the message of the gospel. Second, to die for their faith. So many Christians in the first and and third centuries died for their faith. They were persecuted. They sealed their witness with their own blood. According to the early church father, Tertullian he said that the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. He observed that many became Christians by seeing just how calm and joyful the Christians were in meeting their death. Something that we don't that is just bizarre to us. But that's what happened in the early church. They poured the early church poured their sacrificed their lives for the sake of the gospel. And they, did, and they did so joyfully. And so I wonder if that will happen to us one day. If When we are persecuted, when we are in trial, I wonder if we will joyfully die for Christ. Christ promised that the church will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. That's so what he said at the end of verse 8. This is talking about the farthest corner of the earth. How is this even possible, humanly speaking, well, as I mentioned, this is, not by, this is not possible by willpower. This cannot happen from the, apart from the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit and the sovereignty of God. See, this was Christ's promise. This was Christ's promise. He promised that you will be my witnesses. You will do this. He will not break his promises. He will not lie. He will not take back his words. If he made this promise... Then surely it will be fulfilled. What Jesus was alluding to when he spoke, when he said to the end of the earth, he was actually alluding to Old Testament fulfillments. He was alluding to the Old Testament, actually. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Isaiah 52, verse 10, The Lord has bared His holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And so this is precisely what happened in the book of Acts. You see, in the letter of Galatians, Paul explains that the apostle Peter was entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, that is, to the Jews, and whereas Paul himself, he was entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. See, that's just, that was a, that was their strategy in the early church. The Jews needed the gospel. The Gentiles needed the gospel. These early Christians they preached the risen Messiah, even it, even though it cost them their lives. Paul was beheaded. Peter traditionally was a crucified and hung upside down, and many other apostles were persecuted and martyred. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to challenge all of us to think about this, That is that we are called to be Jesus' witnesses. We are called to be witnesses. See, not many of us will die for our faith in the Lord, but all of us are to testify the message of the gospel, all of us are to be His witnesses, because that's what Christ called us, calls us to do. We are to tell others about Jesus. We are to tell others about Jesus. In fact, if you are a Christian, if you are a Christian, you actually don't have a choice, whether or not if you can or cannot be a witness. You don't have a choice. You are a witness. It's just a whether or not if you're a good witness or a bad witness, right? As a church, well, how are we to testify to the world effectively? Well, Jesus said that if we love one another, then we tell the world that we are disciples of Jesus. A church that fails to love one another fails to bear witness for Christ and fails to bear witness about our faith in Him. But even personally, in your own life, as you think about your own life, your day-to-day, your week-to-week life, how are you to be witnesses of Christ and for Christ? Now, I know like it is difficult, especially during this season, during this past year, it's been challenging. I know it's difficult since many things are done virtually, even if you're, if you're working at home these days, you, know, you don't always have a chance to interact with your coworkers uh, personally. Uh, you have to do it online. Uh, nonetheless, we are to find creative ways to be witnesses, and we should. whether if it's just intentionally calling someone and making sure that they're doing okay and to be encouragement for them to them and to give them the hope of the gospel to them. Certainly, I trust that the Holy Spirit will empower you with boldness to do so. At the end of the day, the point of being a good witness is so that we can make it possible for the gospel of salvation to come winsomely to all. But if we are being a bad witness for Christ, and this happens so many times in our, in, from, my, from a lot of stories I've heard, If we are being bad witnesses, then the world has things to say about us. And we will tarnish the name of Christ through our bad witnessing, through our lives, through our sinful lives. So we are to do our best, by the grace of God, to witness and to tell others about Jesus and to live live as an example in this world so that when people see us, they will see Jesus. In us. So I pray and I hope that you, my church family, that you will focus on the missional mandate that God has given you. So how, so that's that's how we are to face the task unfinished. But there's also one more. If we are to if you are to face a task unfinished, then you have to ask yourself a fourth question. Are you motivated by the reality of Jesus' return? Are you motivated by the reality of Jesus' return? Let's take a look at verses 9 to 11. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who has taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Now, I'll be brief in this part. I spoke about the ascension of Jesus a few weeks ago and went in depth on that topic. So I do encourage you, I would encourage you to go back to, to listen to it on our church website. But let me just say this, that the ascension of Jesus Christ marked the passing of the work of evangelism and missions to his followers. Jesus made the Great Commission very clear to his apostles, to his disciples, and also to us. It was sufficient for them to understand that they are to go and make disciples, and that they are to be witnesses for him. And so having done so, having done so, he disappeared from their sight, he disappeared from their sight as he ascended back into heaven and seated on the right hand of, the, of, of his God and Father. And the angels, the two men here, which is the angels, they gave a remark about Christ's return. They were saying to him, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They were saying about Christ's return. And the fact that Jesus will return one day should be a compelling motive for all of us. Just as the apostles didn't know when, when God will restore the kingdom, so we do not know when Christ will come back and take his church. That should be our, that should be our motivation, brothers and sisters. You see, some Christians are so motivated um, by the pandemic, that they would go go and preach stuff and tell stuff that like, you know, wear your mask, stay six feet apart, and washing your hands. They're all good things. We we should follow these protocols to the best of our ability. And when, when they tell these things, they not they may not even shrink in fear for doing so, and they would do so with confidence and they would do so with boldness. And maybe there's some of you today. But I wonder. If these same, if the same people, if this, these same people, also have the same motivation, have the same boldness, to tell others about Jesus without the fear of persecution, I wonder if you can transfer that motivation and that passion to gospel proclamation and fulfilling the Great Commission. If you're not a Christian this morning, some of you may not die with or, with or with or of COVID, but you will 100% die in your sins because you are a sinner. The last I checked, all of us will die. Mortality rate is still 100%. You know, you may get the vaccine and that may protect you from the virus, but that's not going to protect you from death and eternal Damnation. We will still die no matter what. But there is only one name under heaven that can save you from your sins, of the wrath of God, and that is Jesus Christ. The good news of Jesus Christ. That is what saves people from sin. Not the not like vaccine per se. Brothers and sisters, we need to go out and tell others about this gospel. Yes, go tell them to wear masks. Go tell them to wash their hands. Go do that if you want to. But don't forget about the message that really, truly saves and gives people hope in eternal life. And for you, for those of you who are not Christians, if you're not a believer, Jesus commands you to repent and believe in the good news of salvation. That is the good news of what he's done for you on the cross and his resurrection and his burial and his ascension. And that is what we're going to celebrate later on for, in communion as we remember the death of Jesus Christ that he poured, that he poured out for us so that our, our sins can be forgiven. And so I want to say this with much love and concern Maybe some of you are still deeply, very deeply concerned about your physical health and other people's physical health, which is a good thing. We're to love our neighbors. But are you also concerned about your spiritual health? Are you also concerned about the spiritual health of your neighbors, those around you who are not Christians? Are you concerned about their eternal destiny? Christ will return anytime and as I have mentioned in the beginning of my message, that our conversation with non-Christians could possibly be our last one. Should that not motivate us as a church to be witnesses? Should that not create a sense of urgency? I am truly looking forward to going through Acts because that is truly going to challenge us and encourage us, and it's going to be shaping us as a church family to be on mission for Christ and to go and tell others about him and to be equipped in doing so throughout all the days of our lives. So, brothers and sisters, if we are to face the task unfinished, if we are to continue the mission of Jesus, then we are to focus on the missional mandate, and we are to be motivated by the return of Christ. In additionally, of course, we are to grow in our knowledge of the gospel, the message of the gospel, and experience and be empowered with the might of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So church, we must go. We must go and make disciples. And I hope that you will do that this week. Find creative ways to do so. Whether it's calling someone, whether if you're just meeting up your friends through video call, Find some opportunity to begin a spiritual conversation with them. Find some way. And I know it's going to be a fearful thing. You're you're so concerned, fearful. But trust the Holy Spirit to guide you and lead you. He will give you the words to say during those moments. And if we follow through in facing this task... And that I truly believe, brothers and sisters, I truly believe that God will bless us. He will certainly bless us as a church. I don't know how, but I trust that God will bless us. And so let's pray. Father God, I ask that uh, you would instill in us the sense of urgency of what you have called us to do in our daily lives. Lord God, there's so many people who are dying, who don't know Jesus, and I pray that 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 we will not miss an opportunity to tell others about Jesus. And I pray that even for myself, and that is the same thing for myself that that uh, that we're all in this together. And so, God, I ask that you challenge us to be your witnesses and to be good witnesses. In in our lives, to be an example for others, to be to spread the gospel in word, and also to live our lives in our deed, in, the, in the way that is worthy of the gospel in our deeds. And Lord, as we go as we come together to celebrate communion, the Lord's supper, we remember the the payment that you have purchased for us on the cross and it's this cross this this death that you've experienced that Lord that we can be saved that our sins can be forgiven and that we are to go and tell others about this message so Lord as we celebrate communion help us to do so in reverence in humility and even in confession of our sins Amen. I want to read.